and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify and some of the other platforms that we uh, broadcast on <laughs> here at Sunshine USA. And I'm Warren Landis. I am your Bible teacher and host here on Sunshine USA. And I say some of the other platforms we broadcast on. We have actually several platforms that we broadcast on. Um... We have two primary ones, uh, which are Blog Talk Radio and uh, Spotify, and then we have several others beside that. And if I had to give you a listing of all the platforms we broadcast on, I really couldn't, and because I don't even know. And, and that's why giving you an exact number of listeners in my audience would be very hard to do, because I, I really don't know. Uh, but I do know that altogether we go into pretty much all the world and we share with the world the gospel of Jesus Christ and we teach Christians the word of God, which is the twofold ministry of Sunshine USA, reaching people for Christ and then discipling believers, teaching them the word of God. When I started this ministry, in September of 2012 in Brandon, Mississippi, I started this ministry because of the fact that I was astonished at how little the average Christian knew about the Word of God. Um, if I were to come into your church to speak, one of the things I might very well do while I'm there is have your members take a test that would help you as a pastor measure the degree of Bible knowledge that your church members have. And you may be astonished at how little they know about the Bible. And many of them can tell you what they believe, but they can't tell you why they believe what they believe. And that's also astonishing. And this all came together to form my basis for starting this radio ministry back in 2012. So many of you know that next month, which actually begins Friday of this week, September 1st is on Friday of this week, we will complete another year of broadcasting here on Sunshine USA and actually start another year of broadcasting. Amen. And I hope that this new year of broadcasting on Sunshine USA will allow us to do many more things than we've ever done before. Uh, already I have in my mind different things that I would like to try to do over the next 12 months here at Sunshine USA if the Lord is willing and if the Lord tarries. You know, these are things that I would like to do. <laughs> it's kind of fitting that this coincides with my birthday. Um, I've been celebrating my birthday all weekend. And I am now officially 69 years old. And I have to tell you, at one point in my life, I never dreamed that I would even reach the age of 69. But I have. And now I'm pushing on towards the age of 70. And I still have all kinds of things that I feel like the Lord wants me to do. And so one of the things I did this weekend was to in effect, rededicate my life to God and recommit myself to do great things for God in whatever time 
remains for me because I think that is so important. And I hope that you will continue to pray for this ministry as we continue to grow. One of the things I hope to do in the year ahead is to get into some of the churches and be able to preach. And uh, most of my preaching ministry in the year ahead will be pretty much limited uh, to the Greenville area, that is, Greenville, South Carolina, and the surrounding vicinity. But if you think you might like to have me come to your church and uh, preach in your church or teach the Bible in your church, I would thoroughly love the opportunity of doing so. And all you have to do is shoot me an email and I'll be glad to send you the necessary information. Now, I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com and the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. And of course, I also have a snail mail address, Warren Landis, 80 Rutherford, uh, <laughs> 80 uh, Thurston Street. I don't know why I want to keep saying Rutherford Street. It's 80 Thurston Street, apartment 8510 Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's Warren Landis, 80 Thurston Street. That's T H R U S T O N, 80 Thurston Street, apartment 8510. Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And um, I hope that you will contact me. And by the way, I don't uh, charge anything for coming to your church. If you want to take up a love offering, that's fine, but uh, I don't charge anything. Uh, so it's not exactly going to be a budget buster. <laughs> I'm probably one of few preachers in America right now that preach for free. And I think you'll find that's a price your church can afford. Amen. Well, anyway, uh, let's uh, go ahead and get started with today's broadcast. We're going to be, uh, as we have for a while now, in the book of Acts. And today we're going to start with Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. But before we do that, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just want to pray right now that you will be with me as I teach your word. Lord, give me the words to say. Lord, help me to say everything you want me to say and nothing you don't want me to say. And Lord, whatever is accomplished on this radio broadcast today, we praise you for it. We give you the thanks and the glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, now let's look at Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast of Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Now, we note here, Paul has allowed Apollos to remain in Corinth, uh, Apollos has proven himself to be very effective at convincing Jews that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was who he said he was. Uh, you see, it appears that Apollos was a gifted public speaker, and he had a, a type of charisma about him. And so since Apollos was having such great success in Corinth, he decides to leave 
Apollos there in Corinth, and he himself travels on toward Ephesus, which is where Paul is going to be in today's broadcast. Now, one of the things you note here is the fact that Paul has put together a team. He's got Aquila and Priscilla, who were fellow tent makers, who apparently were now traveling with Paul. And then you've got Apollos. And so everywhere Paul goes, and we'll see later on in today's message, where Paul makes additional uh, additions to his team, Paul recognizes that for him to be effective in the ministry, he's got to be part of a team effort. Uh, I don't care how great a servant of the Lord you think you are. Uh, Let me tell you right now, you cannot do it by yourself. You need a team with you, helping you, supporting you. That becomes very important. It's like uh, one of my professors used to say in Bible college, he he used to tell me that uh, usually... The work of the Lord involves a team effort, not a one-man crusade. Now, of course, back in those days, I was young. I was in my 20s, and I I felt, you know, this is going to be great. I'm going to go into the ministry, and even if I don't have anybody with me all by myself, I'm going to reach the world for Christ. Well, it usually doesn't work that way. You've got to have a team working uh, with you. Now, I've already indicated one of the things I hope to do in the year ahead is a lot more traveling, especially in the upstate of South Carolina, maybe western North Carolina, and preaching in some of the churches. But even there, you know, I need a team. I am not able to drive, so I need, obviously, somebody who can drive for me. I need uh, people to do things, help me do things uh, when I'm in town. So, I mean, I need a team traveling with me. It's not just me, myself, and I. (laughs) It's all part of a team effort. So Paul decides to leave Apollos and Corinth, where he's already doing a great job, and he himself presses on towards Ephesus. This also shows us something of the organizational skill that Paul had. Paul had a sense of organization about him. And I think that added to his effectiveness as a minister of the gospel. And so he comes to Ephesus, and here he uh, meets up with some disciples of John, John the Baptist, that is. We see in verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came into Ephesus, finding certain disciples. And he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? And they said, Under John's baptism. And then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him 
which should come after him, that is, Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Now here, Paul is taking some time to specifically minister to twelve individuals. Now, you know, in the early chapters of Acts, where we have, you know, hundreds and thousands of people being ministered to here, Paul is ministering just to 12. So, you know, if you have a revival meeting and hundreds and thousands are getting saved, then you have another revival meeting and only 12 get saved, it seems to be something of a letdown. But what this particular part of the chapter is telling us is that everybody who gets saved is significant. Let me say that again. Everybody who gets saved is significant. It might be a thousand, it might be twelve, but everybody who gets saved is significant in the eyes of the Lord. Now, as Paul came into Ephesus, one of the things that he recognized right off the bat was a lack of spirituality. And that lack of spirituality told Paul that these were believers who probably had not received the Holy Spirit. You see, now one of the things we believe fundamentally about being a Christian is that when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he takes up residence in your heart. And, of course, this becomes very important because you can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, you see, it is the Holy Spirit who is, in effect, living the Christian life in and through you. You can't do it on your own. <laughs> Even the Old Testament believers learned that the hard way. They learned... They could not live for Jesus or for God on their own. They could not keep the commandments of God on their own. That's why every year they had to have an annual day of atonement. Because it just wasn't possible to go a whole year and keep the commandments of God. And one of the things you will find as a believer in Christ, is that you cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid in some of our churches today, we have people who are religious, people that have been in church all their life, but they've never really been saved. And so their spirituality has no depth. But when a person receives the Holy Spirit, they are now equipped to live the Christian life because they're going to be allowing the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life in them. Another thing we notice is that the Holy Spirit allows us to have the power that we need. The Holy Spirit allows us to have the power that we need to do things for God. On my own, 
I'm not significant at all. On my own, there's very little that I can do for God. But when I have the power of the Holy Spirit within me, the Holy Spirit is going to give me the power that I need to do the job, to do the task that he has for me to do. That's the Holy Spirit living in me. Now, another ministry of the Holy Spirit is that of comforting. There's going to be times when you're doing God's work and you're going to be tempted to feel like, man, I'm in this all by myself. Nobody's with me. Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is with you. And the Holy Spirit will comfort you and give you a peace that the world cannot take away. And another thing the Holy Spirit will do is the Holy Spirit will lead, guide, and direct you. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit will lead, guide, and direct you. And that's why we should always take time as Christians to pray and seek the direction of God. And God, through the Holy Spirit, will tell us what he wants us to do next. But we have to be tuned in for God. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like uh, over-the-air radio stations. If you want to listen to an over-the-air radio station, your radio has to be tuned in to that station. And if your radio is not tuned into the station, you can't get the programming that that station has to offer. Well, as a Christian, if you're not tuned into the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a hard time seeing what the Holy Spirit wants you to do next. And that's one of the reasons why I highly encourage and recommend that you spend time every day praying and that you spend time every day reading the Word, studying the Word, and seeing what that Word has to say to you. Now, as I've said on this program many times before, I'm not a big fan of trying to read the Bible through in a year. Now, I know that there's many read-the-Bible-through-in-a-year plans out there, so obviously it can be done. But usually, to do that, you're going to have to read three, four, or more chapters a day to read the Bible through in a year. And the problem is, when you start studying the Bible that quickly and that rapidly, you don't have time to camp on the things that you need to camp on. When I come to a verse, I need to take the time to see what that verse or that group of verses is telling me. How does this apply to my life? What is God saying to me through these particular verses of Scripture? But like I say now, if you're trying to um, read the Bible through as quickly as you can, there's a lot of stuff that you're going to gloss over that you don't need to be glossing over. That is why, like I say, I'm not a big fan of trying to read the Bible through an ear. I, I like what J. Vernon McGee did in his ministry. In fact, in many ways, this ministry of Sunshine USA is patterned after the ministry of J. Vernon McGee. 
J. Vernon McGee hosted a Bible teaching radio program called Through the Bible. And his goal and his practice was to read and comment on the Bible in five years. In other words, he developed a five-year plan for reading through the Bible. This allows you to read through the Bible more slowly and to take a close look at what the Bible has to say to you. Amen. Okay, let's read on. And like I say in verse 7, we see, and all the men were about 12 men. So, I mean, here Paul is taking time to thoroughly minister to just 12 people. Now, by the way, I know that we have a lot of ministers out there who have very small congregations. And by the way, now I happen to be Southern Baptist, so I can, I can get away with saying this, but the average Southern Baptist church today has fewer than 100 members. Let me say that again. The average Southern Baptist church in America today, it has fewer than 100 members. But that's okay. You decide that as a pastor, you're going to pour your life, you're going to pour your spirituality into those believers that you have. And you're going to teach them everything you know about the Word of God. Now, when I, I have to tell you, when I, uh, <laughs> when I first got saved, when I first got saved, I think one of my first sermons was about 15 minutes long, and I was scared 14 minutes and 60 seconds out of that. Now, the, the shocking thing back in those days, I, I, could teach, I could take 15 minutes back in those days and pretty much give you an overview of everything I believe. I would not be able to do that today. Um, now, here on Spotify, I have up to an hour a day available to me, but even that would not be near enough time to share with you everything that I know. Because my knowledge of the Word of God over the years has grown. In fact, I look back even over the last 12 months, and it's amazing how my knowledge of the Word of God has grown and expanded. Well, let's read on. Verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for them for the space of about three months, disputing and persuading the things of God concerning the kingdom of God. So he goes into the synagogues, he does this for about three months. Now we find, as I've said before, that this was part of the practice of Paul. Whenever Paul came into a new town or a new city, he would go first to the synagogue. And he knew that there he would run into a number of Jewish people, of course, but even a number of 
Gentile believers as well. Because bearing in mind, for the most part, Gentile believers did not have a building of their own to worship God in. So it was not uncommon for Gentiles to gather together with the Jews in the synagogue. And that is typically in most cities and towns that Paul visited, that is where his ministry began. And the Bible says he disputed with them. In other words, when Paul got up to preach, he wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. His mission was not simply tell the people what they want to hear. His mission was to teach them the word of God. And a lot of times that would clash with what they believed. You know, I tell young men today that are going into the ministry, I said, you need to understand that as a minister, your job is not to win a popularity contest. Because if you think you're going to go into the ministry and win a popularity contest, guess what? It ain't going to happen. You're not going to win a popularity contest. In fact, you may find that as a preacher, you're the most unpopular man in town, but that's okay. You've got to busy yourself doing the work that God has called on you to do. And a lot of times, of course, this is going to cause you to be at odds with what the people believe. But that's okay. You're not there to win a popularity contest. You're there to teach and to preach the Word of God. Okay? Well, let's read on. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples disputing daily in the school of one, Tyrannus. So we find here that when the people rose up in opposition, Paul said, okay, I'm finished with this particular group. And he would go on to the next group. Okay, let's read on. We see in verse uh, 10, And this continued by the space of about two years, so that all that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So here we find that Paul does something for two years. Now one of, the, one of the things I do like about Paul is that Paul has a desire to reach everybody he can. Now apparently at the end of this two years, pretty much everybody in Asia has heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that everybody has received Christ but everybody has at least had the opportunity to hear about Christ and what Christ has to offer. 
And he does this over a space of two years. You know, back in the old days, I can remember that an evangelist would come to town, and he wouldn't come to town for just a day or even a week, but that evangelist would come to town and stay for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Basically, they would stay until their work in that town was finished. And, uh, of course, we don't usually have revival meetings lasting two, three, or four weeks anymore. In fact, sad to say, we don't even have revival meetings going on for a week anymore. Some churches don't even have a one-day revival. And then we wonder why we have declining baptisms in our Southern Baptist Convention. We wonder why church memberships are dropping. And it's because we're not seeing revival. We're not seeing revival. I was talking to one young man. He was pastor of a church, and I said, how long have you been there? And he said, uh, I've been there about two years now. I said, how many revivals have you had in your church? He said, none. He said, we can't afford it. Well, let me tell you, that's a pretty bad reason for not having a revival. You know. There are evangelists out there that will be willing to come for whatever you have to offer. I've already indicated, I mean, I will come to your church for free. I'm not in the ministry for the money. I'm in the ministry to serve God. So when you say we can't afford to have a revival, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, by the way, many churches in the old days, they knew how to cut costs. Many churches would have, back in the old days, a prophet's chamber. They would have an old prophet's chamber. And whenever a visiting preacher would come to town, they would put the preacher up in the prophet's chamber. And the preacher had a, a nice place to stay and spend the night. It probably had a, a kitchen in it so that the preacher could fix his own food. So they didn't have to spend a lot of money taking the preacher out to eat. They didn't have to spend a lot of money renting hotel rooms. They simply would put the preacher up in the prophet's chamber. But you don't find that too much anymore. Now, some churches, I understand today, still have a prophet's chamber. And most of those are churches that know they're going to be bringing different preachers in throughout the year. And if they have a prophet's chamber for the preacher to stay in, then that will be a good thing. And by the way, sometimes it's also a more peaceful place for the preacher to stay where the preacher can pray between meetings. And that's a good thing. You go into some of these hotels today and you don't know what kind of crowd is going to be there. There's going to be all kinds of drugs and prostitution going on and that may not be the best environment for you to study the Word of God in until the next meeting. Some of you might be saying, well, we don't have a prophet chamber in our church, but I would sure like to look into the possibility of having one. Well, look into it.
Okay, now let's go on. Next we come to verses 11 through 22. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 22. And here we read about the miracles done by Paul. The miracles done by Paul. Now, in reality, these were not miracles done by Paul. These were miracles that were done through Paul. And the reason you had miracles back in those days was because they did not yet have the whole Word of God. They did not yet have the whole Word of God. Most of them had only the Old Testament. And many believers didn't have even that because scripture was very expensive in those days. Because bearing in mind, in the days of the New Testament, the printing press had not yet been invented. And so all copies of the Bible had to be printed out by hand. That was both time-consuming, it was very labor-intensive, it took a while to do it, and as a result, it was very, very expensive. Back in those days, a copy of the scriptures, even though it was not complete, would cost you maybe a year's salary. And you can imagine most people cannot afford that. If you lived in a part of the world today where you had to pay a year's salary to get a copy of the Bible, you probably wouldn't have a copy of the Bible. It would be beyond your reach financially. Which, by the way, is why many of the Jewish believers went into the synagogue to hear the word of God being read to them because they did not have the word of God in their own homes. And so Paul would allow the Holy Spirit to work miracles through him these miracles became God's way of authenticating the message of Paul. By doing these miracles, people could see for themselves that indeed and in fact Paul was a messenger of God. Because you see, these miracles became his calling card. It became his credentials to show them that indeed he was sent from God. Today, if you were to call up some repairmen to come and repair something in your home, chances are they would have an ID badge that would let you know this person is indeed from the company that you hired to do the work and that they have the proper skills and training to do the work that you have called them to do. So they did miracles. I want you to look in particular. I want you to look in particular here at verse number 19. It said, Many of them which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and about it 50,000 pieces of silver. 
Verse 20, And so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now, I want you to notice something here. Revival broke out, and people took all of the books containing worldly philosophy and other things. Many of these were books that were about idolatry and witchcraft and worldly thought, and they bring them, you might say, to the revival meeting. And there, in front of God and everybody, these books are burned, set afire, and a great revival breaks out. It reminds me of a youth revival we had one time at the church where I was growing up as a teenager. We had an evangelist that came in and talked about uh, the importance of getting rid of everything in our lives that was not of God. And we had Christian young people come and they brought their country music albums and their rock music albums and they burned them. A mighty bonfire. They said, we're not going to listen to this stuff anymore. We're going to listen to the word of God. You know what? It made headline news. Because these young people were literally taking thousands of dollars worth of records and burning them. Getting rid of them. Now, the idea here is that you get rid of anything in your life that is pulling you away from God. Now, in our day, for example, you might stop watching certain TV shows or movies that are about subjects that are not godly at all. You actually have movies and TV shows today that Talk about how silly it is to worship God. Don't waste your time and money watching these TV shows and movies. Get rid of them. Some of the music that some of you are listening to nowadays on the radio, you need to get rid of it. And dare I say that some of the music in our churches today, you need to get rid of it. I, I was watching just the other day a church service. Now, some of you are going to think, okay, Warren, this is where you stop preaching and you start meddling. Call it what you may. But I, I was watching this church service on television, and it was like a televised nightclub. They had an auditorium filled with smoke and psychedelic spotlights. and Folks, let me tell you, that is not biblical Christian music. That is simply the devil's music that might be performed in a church building, but that doesn't make it godly. Whenever you listen to music, and all you can think about is how great the music is, and you're not thinking about God. It's not godly music. Now, by the way, let me make it a very careful point to say I'm not against all contemporary Christian music. I remember back in the 1980s, I worked at two different contemporary Christian radio stations in New Orleans, Louisiana. 
And back in those days, I played a lot of contemporary Christian music myself. Not all contemporary Christian music is bad. Not all contemporary Christian music is of the devil. But a lot of it is. For example, the Christian artists that you're listening to, or the so-called Christian artists that you're listening to, what kind of lives do they live? Do they live the kind of life that indicates that they are indeed and in fact a Christian? Now, I'm not asking you here, are they perfect? Because they probably aren't. But neither am I and neither are you. But do they live the kind of life that indicates they are a Christian? Is Christian music the only kind of music that they do? Seems to me a good Christian artist is going to make it a policy to do nothing but Christian music. I've actually heard some Christian artists say, well, my main ministry is Christian music, but I have to do some secular music so that I have enough record sales to keep going. But I can tell you up front, for the most part, the only artists I listen to are those Christian artists who do nothing but Christian music. And they are Christian artists who live godly lives. Not necessarily perfect lives, but godly lives. And I think all of that is so important. Okay, now let's read on. <laughs> Those of you that haven't turned the dial already. Verse 22, And sent... And so he sent, or Paul sent, into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto them, unto him, Timothy, Timotheus, or Timothy, and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And once again, this points to the organizational skill that Paul had we find that Paul was a highly organized man, a well-organized man. And he took Timothy and Erastus, and he left them there, and Paul went on. Or I should say Paul stayed, and he sent them on. Now, by the way, that's one of the advantages of having a team. You know, you can minister in one place, members of your team can minister in another place, and you get a lot more done for God that way. You get a whole lot more done for God that way. And that's the way that um, Paul was. He was highly organized, and he had put together a very effective team of individuals. And at this point in Paul's ministry, he had quite a few people working with him. And it made the work that he was doing for the Lord a whole lot more effective than if he had simply tried to do it all by himself. One of the things you're going to find as a pastor, 
is that it's going to be very tempting at times for you to try to do everything on your own because it seems nobody wants to help you. But part of your work as a pastor is to equip members of the congregation to do things for God in addition to what you're doing so that the work of God is multiplied and magnified and you're not simply running a one-man crusade. That you recognize that serving God is all part of a team effort. I have known some great pastors over the years. And one of the things all of these pastors had in common is they knew how to put together a great team. They had a great associate pastor. They had a great minister of music, a great youth minister. They knew how to assemble a dedicated, loyal team that greatly magnified the work of God. And so that's also part of the message for today. Now this, of course, carries us through chapter 19 and verse 22. Next time we'll talk about chapter 19 starting with verse 23. And we'll see that Paul's ministry in Ephesus runs into opposition. We'll see what that's all about in the next broadcast. In the meantime, one of the things you could do for this ministry is to pray for this ministry. Pray that God will continue using this ministry and will even allow this ministry to expand. And you need to pray that God will continue keeping his hand on me so that I can continue preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible through every means possible. Well, that's going to basically pretty much bring us to an end of the broadcast today. So until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. Don't fret none because I'll be back again next time on Sunshine USA.